welcome to the next level. I'm JBL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell, and my other best friend who is equally best in all of our friendship dimensions, vectors, across all of those metrics. Tim Miller, both of the bulwark. Guys, how are you? Happy Wednesday. It's hump day. I'm just so grateful to have been upgraded, JVL, to co-best friend. The Nuggets have won in game seven over the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, And these two items are balancing out the other side of the ledger, which is the plague and fire. Wait, the, the, the Nuggets are in the playoffs? They are, and they've, they've, they've beaten the vaunted Los Angeles Clippers in Game 7 in a very exciting victory. We now take on the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. This is the first such appearance in 12 years. Wait, uh, you're, we in could the, do you're in the Western minutes. Conference You're in the, the Western, Western Conference, Conference Finals? Finals, baby. Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray. It's time to jump on the bandwagon, JVL. You can turn on, we can, we can squad cast some games and watch them together and, and further foment our best friendship. Is this the first time the Nugs have been good since the Carmelo Anthony Correct. years? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And it's I'm sorry, all guys. I was, I, was, I was asleep. What are, are we talking <laughs> about? <laughs> it's all happening. We're talking about sport. We're talking about, men, ball, round, we're we're talking about round sport. And uh, Jamal Murray's just masculine energy, just his sort of frothy masculine energy and his three-pointers is what we're really talking about right now. I have little... Little use for frothy masculine energy uh, <laughs> or sports ball. Um, I've never heard of that person. I'm sure, he's great. I'm sure, he's Which is, but see, this is the enduring mystery of Sarah Longwell because you were a not good but great basketball player. I was. I was a feisty little stud point guard, stud athlete, and yet you're like, true? Yeah, Kenyon? Did you make the team at Kenyon? No, I played field hockey and softball at Kenyon. Okay, um, I don't think you can be a great player if you didn't make the Division Four college team. It was Division Three. There's no Division Four, uh, but whatever. Uh, did you play any sports for your college, Tim? Uh, I, don't I, I was the I was the voice of Colonials basketball here on WRGW, GWRadio.com. Okay, well, I played two sports in college, so there you go. Okay. Well, I would I would announce basketball games extremely inebriated and receive a lot of compliments from GW graduates all over the world. So, you know, that's that's a skill in itself. Same sure. as All right, let's let's get this show on the road. Last night ABC hosted a town hall with your great president Donald Trump. <laughs> moderated by George Stephanopoulos and it was kind of amazing. I I tracked it in real time a little bit as it was happening but wasn't able to watch it and so I I watched it then today after the fact. And this is one of those cases where the Twitter hive mind which had decided that this whole thing was a train wreck actually understole, undersold how bad it was. And I kind of can't believe that Trump agreed to do it. So he's in a small theater with a bunch of socially distanced Pennsylvania voters. And the format seems to be they ask him a question and then he lies to them for 90 seconds. And then George Stephanopoulos sits there right next to him and holds him to account for each one of the lies for the next like five minutes. And it was crazy. Crazy, and then when when George Stephanopoulos held him to account, did he tell the truth then, or or is that not what happened? No, he just kept kept lying. So here here are some things. 
there's so many things to talk about with with his performance. Uh, the first is, have you noticed that over the course of the last year, the Trumpers have been salivating at the prospect of getting Joe Biden one on one in a debate stage with Donald Trump? Have you, have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, they're fantasizing about it. So that has always struck me as slightly insane, as anybody who has seen either Donald Trump or Joe Biden uh, debate. Uh, Here are some things that happened last night. Uh, The president of the United States said that eventually we're going to get to a herd mentality. (laughs) He said Which that could be true, by the way, we could we met that may be an issue that we have. He's already in the herd mentality, I think. He I said agree. that India has one point five million with an M people. He said that we're doing great on excess mortality. And he said that over and over, despite clearly not knowing what excess mortality means. He then said, I just, all, can we just pause really quick? What is he trying to say with that? Like, what did they put in his briefing that I, I can't even... What, here's what they put in his briefing. They told him, in Italy, there were 50% more deaths that we think were related to COVID than actually got counted as COVID. And here, we only think there's 25% more <laughs> deaths. God. And so oh, that's yeah. what he has taken. To, oh, well, our excess well, mortality numbers are great then. That's a victory lap. Right. He then said, if we wouldn't be doing testing, we wouldn't have cases. He said, again, these are all, all direct quotes. You've got you've got to run a country. We're in a country. He then, in talking about masks, said that there are, quote, a lot of different ideas about masks. And when asked, uh, he then says that a lot of people got a lot of things wrong and he beat up on Anthony Fauci and Stephanopoulos said, uh, what did you get wrong? And Trump says, no, I didn't get anything wrong. And he then says. I put a ban on our country. Now, it is important to let you guys know, all of these came within a single five-minute segment of one question. (laughs) This is not like his blooper highlight reel of a two-hour debate. This is a single five-minute segment from one question. And I got to say, I mean, yeah! Is that not his superpower, though? Kind of, right? That he just... Like, uh, takes the shotgun approach of lies and gaffes and absurdities. Uh, and, and so, you know, at the end of the evening, like the takeaway is, you know, Donald Trump sparred with George Stephanopoulos tonight on a series of issues. And like, that's what most people like take, you know, get, get from it. Like that's like sort of the media top line. So here's, here's my question to you guys about all of this. The there is this sense, I think, amongst pollsters and, you know, based on some polling data that the debates may matter in terms of helping people firm up some of their leanings already. Right. I mean, the the percentage of people who are true undecideds is quite small at this point, but there are some people who are soft decides and that when they see the debates that will help firm up their conclusions. If the Trump campaign's great hope here is that they're going to have a debate at which point when these two guys are next to each other, one of them is going to be clearly less mentally capable than the other. And that is then going to spook a bunch of soft Biden supporters to go rushing to Trump. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen. No. Am I being crazy? Am I take? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. Here's. What I think generally, it is, it is kind of like 
conventional wisdom among like hack types, uh, DC types, that debates don't matter. Um, and, and for some, for the reason that you just said, right, well, there's not that many undecideds out there. The thing is, is that the people that I talk to all the time through the focus groups, these are people who, and so I, I know they exist, both undecideds and then what I would call sort of very soft Trump supporters. And the, 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 they, and these soft Trumps, they hate Trump. They tend to be women. They don't like Trump at all. Um, but what they, the, the, the trouble that they're having getting over the finish line is, is Donald Trump and his team have dumped hundreds of millions of dollars into the idea that Joe Biden cannot form a complete sentence, that he is drooling on himself in his basement uh, and he is just not up to it. And so when you, I mean, you would, if you were listening to one of these focus groups, the things that you would hear from people are like, yeah, but you know, Joe Biden's sick. You know, he's, he's not well, he's not okay. And you, you know, and they have this sort of concern trolling that they do about why they couldn't, they, they don't like Trump and they can't think they cannot stomach another four years of him. But the problem is, is that it's not responsible to hand the country over to Joe Biden because he's just not all there. And I do think that the debates matter in the sense that there is a whole bunch of people who have bought that narrative hook, line and sinker who say, because this is this comes up all the time in focus groups. Where they're like, well, we don't really know that much about Biden. If Biden is able to blow a just complete hole in that argument when people are watching. I think that there's a real there's something real about people who just are tuning in. I mean, I say this all the time on the on the secret podcast about how much people are not really paying attention. And it's hard for people who pay constant attention like us to square just the life of somebody for whom none of this matters that much but who is about to just start t- tuning in. And I think if they see Joe Biden and the state of current Donald Trump that if Joe Biden really does exceed expectations uh and re- and 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 Donald Trump has lowered the bar so far on what a a good you know Joe Biden performance would look like cuz basically if he can stand up there for 2 hours and make you know speaking complete sentences he will have exceeded expectations I actually think that could be terrible for Trump Tim one of the the moments in the 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 town hall that really blew my mind is during a follow-up question about masks and a student from Philly, I think it was, stood up and said, you know, why, why, why are you so checked out on masks? Why are you not? Well, why, why are you sending a mixed message on this? And, uh, and Trump says, they said at the Democratic convention, they would have a national mask mandate and they checked out. They didn't do it. <laughs> so the president stood there and blamed Biden for not instituting a national mask mm. mandate. Yeah, there seems to be some the logical of, holes there. Isn't this the type of thing which anybody with an IQ over, I don't know, 95 would look at and say, oh, hold on, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. I mean, this is like he doesn't understand the schoolhouse rock, how a bill becomes a law stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, I do just want to repeat that I was watching Nikola Jokic poetry in motion last night. And so I didn't I didn't actually see this clip that you're referring to. I did watch the Henderson rally and wrote about that for the bulwark uh, plug number one. Uh, and uh, he does, uh, to me, seem like an absolutely in- insane person. Um, he's an insane person who is maniacal in his lies and reckless in his lies and and, and occasionally confused. I, 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 do, I just, though, kind of again, wonder if like people have just been numb to it. And I wrote about this a bit and people have been, if people have just, just kind of said like, Oh, that's crazy Donald. And then they'll be grading Joe Biden on a completely different scale. 
you know, and, and if Joe Biden, you know, has a, has a senior moment and forgets the word he was going to say, or, you know, if he stutters, aha, look, you know, at aha, that. look at that. Exactly. Exactly. I, I think that there is, I'm concerned about the two different scales that people will be judging on. Um, and, and I do not think that the types of voters that Sarah's talking about, who I totally agree with her are real and, and for whom the debates will make a difference. I'm not certain if they are looking at Trump through the same 95 plus IQ glasses that we are. Um, And it's not necessarily to say that they're dumb. It's just to say that like the, the, the nature of the last four years has, has, has kind of created this kind of Trumpian film that envelops everything, uh, which, which makes it kind of hard to see clearly for certain people, like just how, uh, how how maniacal the president is um so that that concerns me about the debates and i and i do think that the debates um will will matter uh with the, with these voters and that biden you know uh, i mean i think that biden if you look at him in the democratic debates um uh gained strength as it went on but but he was a little shaky in some of the early debates and uh and and so that has my my nerves tingling a little bit so here's here's a question for both of you. Uh, I the yes. soft the soft underbelly of Trump on the COVID stuff is his inability to back down from any position he's ever held. And one of the moments last night, somebody asked him about his you know one day it all just disappears like a miracle. You know would wouldn't you like to take that back? And because he's Trump and he cannot admit to being wrong ever, his response is, no, it will disappear. One day it is just going to disappear. It'll just disappear. Is that the type of talk about this pandemic, which, you know, we will in a couple days be over 200,000 deaths. Is that going to be acceptable to swing? Like if you are a, a, an undecided swing voter from Pennsylvania who just doesn't know how to make up their mind because they're both the same, you know, like I, I, I mean, the one guy is the thing. I mean, you know, these politicians are all the same. If you look at that and talk, are talking about something real, like an actual giant pile of body, as if we had taken the city of Rochester and the entire Rochester, New York metro area and just made it disappear. You know, we had set off an antimatter bomb in the middle of it, and instead of saying, "Yeah, no, this is this is all bad. We got to fight our way out of it." Uh, a guy is saying, yeah, no, it's just going to disappear. It's going to disappear like a miracle, just like I told you it was, you know, eight months ago. Are suburban swing voters who are really undecided going to look at that and say, yeah, I'm reassured that this guy is uh, is going to be up to the most important job facing the next president? I definitely think that if Barack Hussein Obama, which is what the president broke that back out this week. I think if Barack Hussein Obama had said that radical Islamic terrorism was just going to disappear like a miracle and we didn't have to worry about it, that that might have been something that harmed him in his in his reelection effort, um, uh, uh, to extend your metaphor there. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that he, he um, uh, is not capable of changing the way that uh, his his attitude towards the pandemic. He's not capable to, you know, have an extended period of seriousness in in response to it. And so the kinds of answers like that, I mean, there are just a million of those examples, JVL, um, will be his answers in the debate. 
And and so that's like baked into his number. And I, and I do think that that's putting a ceiling on his number a, a bit. Uh, and I do think that there are voters that he's lost over that. Sarah, what do what do the people you talk to think about that sort of thinking vis-a-vis COVID? Do they say, OK, no, you know, the president's right. It probably will just disappear. You know, it's actually really complicated. And, it, and I think it comes uh, it, it depends on the prism through which people are seeing it. I think one of the reasons that Donald Trump is doing so poorly in, let's say, Arizona is because their lives are impacted by COVID still to this day. And they opened too early and like suburban voters believe that that was handled poorly. Like they they are aware that Trump, you know, was pressuring their governor, their governor opened up and now they're all still in this protracted lockdown. And, you know, and it's really, you know, run roughshod over their state. But if you're in places where it hasn't been that bad, like Pennsylvania, um, and the prism you're looking through is that oh, I just want life to return back to normal and it's not and I'm so frustrated, then like there is an element of Trump's wish casting that can be appealing, right? Because what you're frustrated by is the economic slowdown, the fact that life isn't returned to normal. Um, you don't necessarily, it's not as omnipresent, the threat. Um, and so it, it really depends. It's A lot of it tends to be geographic and tends to be like how COVID has played in your area in terms of how you're seeing it. Because I do talk to people in Arizona, and they're much more concerned about coronavirus than the Pennsylvania voters um, who have like sometimes different things on their minds. Now, the thing that I think is a mistake for him, though, because this is what's happening right now. They're, everybody's going back to school. That was and, a dramatic pause for a second. Sorry. The, well, I was just thinking about exactly how to say it, but <laughs> people are going back to school. And uh, a lot of like different different things are happening for different people. So either their kids are at home when they want their kids to be going back to school and that's like deeply frustrating and they like really want to plan and they want this whole thing to have been handled better. Like that is frustrating. And that is why I think he's having such a hard time with a lot of these women for whom, you know, they're bearing sort of a disproportionate part of the burden uh, on that. And also you're seeing more cases spring up. I mean, this is the problem for Trump, right? And where things really started to hurt him around coronavirus was July when it wasn't a second wave. It was the extension of the first wave where things were supposed to be getting better. And then it like hit hard again, especially starting to land in some of those red states. That's when he started to see his polling numbers drop when it got as bad for him as it's been this entire time. And so it sort of depends, I think, on like what people's lived experiences are, how they interpret what the president's saying. What? Why is that true, though, Sarah? I don't I don't dispute that it is true. But nobody Why doesn't about... everybody see that he's such an idiot? No. Why? That, that's Why? Not my, that is not my question. Why? My question is, 9-11 was the last big national spare, uh, shared tragedy. And around 9-11, it did not matter if you were from Florida or Nevada or Pennsylvania or Wisconsin in terms of how much you cared about the threat of radical Islamic terrorism. Right. Everybody basically said, yeah, no, no, it, it did, you didn't have to have your shopping mall bombed. You did not have to personally have worked in lower Manhattan. And and yet now it is. Why is that? Because something happened to our country that everybody hurt that hurt everybody in their hearts, but it did not change their daily lives that much. Um, and their fear was from outside the country um, and was able to be put on sort of a foreign Entity versus this, where 
you know, people's impact of the coronavirus isn't just from coronavirus. So like you talk to people in the focus groups, there's a tremendous amount of pain out there. The pain is economic. People talk about their businesses being shut down, being furloughed, or their spouse being furloughed. People talk about not being able to see their parents when they before they've passed away. I mean, people are having these horrible, tragic experiences that are COVID adjacent because of the environment that we're living in. And they interpret those things differently. I think for some people, they interpret it as there's been this overreaction to this thing. I don't know a single person who's died from COVID, but I do know that my mom died in a nursing home alone because I couldn't go see her. And like, so I'm just, I think that it's, I understand the question that you're asking, but what I think I'm trying to say is that it is people, this is hitting people in very different ways and causing them to think differently than, than you or I might. And like, yeah, those 200,000 people uh, is like so many people and such a tragedy but still, there's a lot of people who don't know anybody who's gotten COVID. That's as good an answer as I could get up for, honestly. People are so garbage and should be fired into the sun. But that's all right. Uh, Tim, would you care to expand on the question of the shy Trump voter? I would love to, JVL. Thank you. And uh, plug promotional plug, too. Uh, uh, this is the topic of not my party on Snapchat brought to you by The Bulwark. And if you have Snapchat or you have a teen who has Snapchat or you're uh, friends with a teen or you're maybe a coach of a local sports team that has teens on it, uh, encourage them to, to swipe to the uh, left on their Snapchat device, search for Not My Party, and download it. We're doing one every week between now and the election. Uh, it is super fun. Uh, and um, I, I wanted to talk about the shy Trump voter because there was this uh, i don't know did you see this jp morgan analyst report no it was the, it was uh it was one of these financial bros you know the finance finance bros send reports around to other finance bros to help them decide how to uh buy and sell stonks uh and in this one report uh you know there was kind of a sense of everybody is is baking in that biden is the favorite in this in the election but but there's a reason to think that trump actually is going to come back to win uh based on the trajectory of the economy and also this notion of the shy trump voter and and uh, that caught my eye because I was like, I, I, it, it's interesting to me that this has now just sort of baked into everybody's consciousness as a thing that exists, as, an, as a thing that is happening. And, and it doesn't seem like there's a ton of actual like thinking going into whether that is like actually a, tr a real thing um, that is true, that is presume it's true. And, and I think the main reason they presume it's true is that the people who presume it's true live in big cities. And in cities like New York and D.C. and even Denver and, you know, Chicago and Atlanta, like there just aren't that many Donald Trump supporters there. And uh, people that live in these cities probably know somebody that is a Trump supporter that doesn't really like to talk about it when, you know, back in the before times they were out of brunch or, you know, now when they're on their like, you know, friend Zoom calls. Like politics comes up and like the one guy just kind of gets a little quiet. They're like, I, I think that I think you might be for Trump over there. And so in, intuitively, they think like this must be a thing, right? That, that these Trump voters are out there and they don't tell the pollsters, they don't tell their friends. But on Election Day, they're going to swarm to the polls and carry Mr. Trump to victory. And that's what happened in 2016. When when the reality is in like the vast majority of the country and particularly in the states that are going to decide the election, like being for Trump is not something to be a secret. <laughs> like that's why they have the boat parades. That's why uh, around Charlie's house in Wisconsin, there are all the Trump billboards. Like that's why 
um, uh, uh, you know, you see uh, these sort of ostentatious um, uh, Trump flags and Trump trucks and all this stuff. Like being for Trump is like a brand identity in, in a big part of the country. And, and so while there might be a couple of shy Trump voters in, you know, the Milwaukee in, 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 you know, who live in urban Milwaukee, like not that many. And frankly, there's probably just as many shy Biden voters that live out in rural Wisconsin and don't want to talk about it with their friends. I mean, I know that Sarah, we've seen some of these types through RVAP that we hear from people who are in the opposite situation, everybody that knows for Trump. And so this notion has gotten baked into when we think about the election. And, and, and my view on it is that if Trump is going to do a surprise victory again, um, there are other reasons that it would be, but it's not because the people that are voting for him are shy about it. And uh, I'm wondering if you, if you JVL side with me on this, or if you are in the J in the JP Morgan finance bro bubble. Yeah, I, I very much side with you. Trump is the first, the first political candidate, maybe since, I don't know, McGovern, who is a lifestyle brand as much as a politician. Uh, Let's stop and think about that for a second. That can't be right. I think uh, it's pretty right. Obama, I mean, Obama, kind of. Obama, Bernie. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, Bernie. You know what? You know what? That's that's not fair. Obama is more of a more of a lifestyle brand. Yeah, that's that's closer. But Trump has. Trump is more of that, though, because Obama was an aspirational brand and Trump is a reactionary brand. Trump is a, you know, you've seen the hats that say, if you don't like Trump, you wouldn't like me. You know, like this is a thing people say to one another. Uh, it's it is a way of giving the finger. <laughs> OK, no, it's I wish more it's, people wore those hats. That'd be a nice just, just it's a way of giving the finger to the people you don't like in America. And uh, I, if Trump is going to win, it's going to be because he's able to mobilize more of the out and proud Trump voters. I mean, that's, it's going to be because he goes and finds an extra 5 million votes of people who were going to vote for him in 2016, but for whatever reason, didn't do it because they're too low information to convert, even though they think favorably of him, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I am skeptical that he can find another 5 million of those people and get them to the polls, but it's, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. I too am skeptical of that. Although I will say just to give a shout out uh, to some of something Tim said on, in terms of, you know, the, the people that I'm talking to, these are all Trump voters. Everybody I talk to is a Trump voter. Um, and really these, a lot of them are women and they are very much shy Biden supporters. Like these are, they say out loud, like, you, you know, you talk to people in focus groups, say who they're voting for. Now at this point, there is always in these, and this is one of the things that has really made me feel like, I think that, that, that Biden does have a leg up and that the polling numbers are real is that I hear from these women all the time who voted for Trump in 2016, who are absolutely out on him for 2020 and they're going to vote for Biden. And there's always about half the group that is either for Biden or Biden leaners. Um, and then usually the rest are undecided or maybe Trump leaners. There's not that many in this category of people that I'm talking to who are Trump voters who rate him as doing a very bad job, who at this point are still super MAGA. It happens sometimes, but it is far less frequent than the number of people who are now definitely Biden voters or Biden leaners. Um, and But a lot of times they'll say... Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to vote for Biden, but I'm not going to tell my husband or I'm not going to tell my parents or like, that's not something you say around here. Um, and so I just think that the look, the, the I think that in the time of toxic polarization, 
like there's a lot people you know there's a lot of discussion right now about the, like the yard side the yard side um yard sign uh sort of election you know where it's people parody. drive around what yeah well yeah but, but, but people just say like why well, don't i i see trump signs but i'm not seeing biden signs whatever you know what you want to put a biden sign out people aren't people think that maga folks are the kinds of people who will come and like burn their house down you know like people are genuinely afraid that I think can't be not- true. They they are worried about cancel culture. Part of the reason that some shy Trump supporters exist is because they're so concerned about cancel culture. No, I talk. They're about so. The- they no, are, that's is- true. I believe this for real, and I don't think we talk about it enough in our politics about how real the actual sort of fear is now or reluctance to be sort of out and proud about your political persuasions. I think a little bit in general, but I think that there's plenty of 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 people who are Democrats in more exurban or rural areas who do not want to broadcast it because they are not trying to invite. Um, I'm sorry, that can't be right, though, Sarah. I thought that the fear was only if the radical left canceling people and the big tech companies canceling people. I don't know why, why would they fear? Why would, why would liberals fear the right and their, and their comity and their commitment to open debate? Yeah. Because you know, the, honestly, I, I have zero sympathy on I realize of course, Tim, that you're being facetious, but you look at just the, the Michigan militias showing up in Lansing and trying to storm the, uh, the state Capitol while armed with long guns, you look at Kyle Rittenhouse, driving to a neighboring state with an AR-15 and killing people. Uh, Like, why wouldn't any normal, rational person think, yes, actually, there are a bunch of Trump cultists who who are happy to go and insert themselves into situations where they might be able to convince themselves that they are justified in murdering people, right? I mean, what is that? Is that an outrageous uh, supposition? I mean, it might be an overly... I mean, if you are like crippled by this fear, that's probably not really healthy or rational. But but yeah, no, of course. Like, uh, I I mean, yeah, I was being facetious earlier, but yeah, I mean, like my friend in Baton Rouge um, has had you know his Biden sign, um, you know, vandalized and stolen, and like his four year old kid, some random guy on the street was like shit talking his four year old kid, like while he was sitting on the porch, like not not realizing he was there, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is is a is a rational concern. Like, it's not worth the BS. I think that it's not worth the BS is rational. Like having a fear that like a militia will come to your house, a right wing militia will come to your house is, is is I would say a little overstated at this point. But but I mean, I think that they signal their um uh, uh their their aggression and their radicalization for sure through these through these sorts of actions. Sarah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I was my my facetious commentary about the uh, about the far right's commitment and the MAGA commitment to comedy and open debate did interrupt your your take. Did you have any final thoughts on the uh, on 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 the shy Biden uh, effect? No, only that uh, I think that actually the thing that you just said about it, it the it not being worth it, like people wear MAGA hats. Uh, not, not, not everybody, but there is a, there is a type of person who wears a MAGA hat. I, that was do I was debating somebody, uh, for like a vice show. And there was a, and so there was, I was on with like some Trumpers and one of the guys was wearing a, a t-shirt that said like, ask me about my MAGA hat. And then there, I can't remember. It was like, or it was, then there was some, there was some, no, there was thanks. something, something about punching was like somewhere in this. I can't remember what it was. Um, 
but I remember just being like, like that is there is this this aggressive thing, right? Because the whole point, they it is a weird, it is a weird flex because it is so it is on one hand is about being a victim, right? It's about like, um, you know, uh, we are we people think we should be ashamed about our magnus, so we're out and proud and loud about it. Um, but of course, what they what they're doing is basically being like, I dare you, like dare you to mess with me about this. And it's, and they're kind of like looking for that fight. And I think there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'm going to vote for Biden and I'm just going to not, that's not going to deal with the rest of the It was like the dude that in the all lives matter shirt I saw at the airport who was like standing right by the entrance to the plane. Like, oh yeah, I want somebody to, I want somebody to engage me on, on, on my view that all lives matter. Uh, Like this is, uh, you know, definitely, definitely an er not an earnest, uh, effort to express one's one's commitment to all lives, but uh, an, an attempt to pick a fight. Um, yeah. Well, I do think that there is one pretty prime example of where we've all been wrong. So we do have an agreement here on the panel that the, that the shy Trump voter is not the concept to be worried about in November. But there is one area in society where there is a preponderance of shy Trump voters, and uh, that is at the Sete Osseria across the street from AEI headquarters in DuPont Circle. Uh, you'll see a lot of shy Trump voters there at lunchtime, and the shyest of them all is Danny Pletka. Sarah? Yeah, Daniel Pletka of um, the American Enterprise Institute, uh, very much a part of Conservatism, Inc., uh, has an op-ed in the Washington Post, so I don't know how shy that is. Um, but the the op-ed it's been a it's been a point of of some derision. Uh, but but I want to read you. So it is she is she is coming out. She's coming out in her support for Trump. Um, former never Trumper. Former never Trumper. Uh, and the title of the piece is "I never considered voting for Trump in 2016. I may be forced to vote for him this year." Okay, her hand is being forced. Uh, hear me out is how she is how she starts this. I fear Trump's erratic personality driven decision making. His contempt for NATO is alarming, as is his delusion that he can manage rogue leaders. I don't doubt that his eagerness to withdraw US troops from their stability missions in places such as Afghanistan and Iraq will encourage conflict and terrorism. And I fret that his bizarrely isolationist attitude toward international trade will hurt the US economy and splinter the global trading juggernaut that over the past half century has brought the world amazing prosperity, lifting hundreds of millions of people out of extreme poverty. Oh, so it sounds like this Trump guy's a little bit of an existential threat here, right? Kind of a that's kind of that sounds pretty bad. But Ooh, I feel I don't know. I don't know you get about you guys, but I, I, I sense a butt coming here. Uh, but I fear the leftward lurch of the Democratic Party even more. I fear that former Vice President Joe Biden would be a figurehead president incapable of focus or leadership who would run a teleprompter presidency with the words drafted by his party's hard left ideologues. I fear that a Congress with Democrats controlling both houses, almost certainly ensured by a Biden victory in November, would begin an assault on the institutions of government that preserve the nation's small d democracy. And then she goes on, they're going to get rid of the filibuster, blah, blah, blah. I would just like to ask the two of you, if you weighted her own concerns on a scale, one being that the current president is a threat to the world order, is cozying up to dictators, uh, and hurting the entire the the some of the foundational uh, parts of the U.S. economy. And you weigh that against her concern that the guy that beat every other progressive in his party and beat back the leftward lurch is going to be a figurehead. How do you weight it? But and and that and that the thing to fear the most is the figurehead. 
how how do you weight those two things? Does that sound like an equivalent? Does that sound like it tips in the balance to a rational person in favor of Donald Trump? Yeah, I, uh, you know, there's this this old maxim that you're never supposed to, you're always supposed to debate the ideas, not the motives. And I, during the Trump years, I've actually gone in the opposite direction. Which is that <laughs> the, the only thing I really care about are the motives. Uh, you know, if, if, if somebody sincerely believes all of this stuff, then I'm basically inclined to give them a pass because they actually believe it. And, you know, we just have a disagreement. What drives me insane is the people who I know for a fact don't believe things, but who say them anyway because they're playing an angle. And to me, that is much less forgivable. And so it's it's really, <laughs> that's all I care about anymore are the motives. And this is the most transparent piece of signaling I think I have seen in the whole of the Trump era, which I know is a big statement. But this is the political equivalent of, Tim, the, the most famous piece the uh, the Onion ever wrote. I love it so much. Okay, which is, when will homosexuals stop sucking my... Which I'm Egg not going to say it on our show. Eggplant. Uh, start, stop. It's this fantastic piece. Tim, can you summarize it for me so that I don't get myself canceled? Uh, the piece is basically this, um, uh, you know, redneck character uh, in a pickup truck uh, who's uh, who keeps saying, "I'm definitely, I'm definitely not gay," but then all of a sudden, you know. Uh, one day I'll be walking into a bathroom and then this guy will just start sucking my eggplant. And then the next day I'll just happen to be uh, uh, outside of the back of my hair salon and the stylist just start sucking my eggplant. <laughs> it's like, but I swear I'm a heterosexual. I yeah, don't I mean, want this. I don't want this about to happen. How angry he is at the gays. I'm so how, mad like, that they keep me. Yeah, I'm so mad why that do they, they keep, keep making doing me doing this to yeah. me. Yeah. And that's essentially what this is. And, I, it's the type of thing that I can't understand why anybody still feels as though they're forced to pretend to take Danny Pletka seriously because she's not a serious person. She's never been a serious person. She wasn't even a serious person when she was uh, the wicked witch of the neocon war set and was ruling AEI's foreign policy division through fear. She wasn't, I mean, everybody knew she was a fraud then. And so, you know, on the one hand, I I have some hope that this will finally expose her and that people will feel the need to uh, to stop taking her seriously. And yet, on the other hand, the way the world of conservatism, Inc. actually works, I think this can only enhance her status and future yes. business prospects, because what he she has proven here is that she is a team player and she is willing to humiliate herself in public for the team. And that that is what winds up getting valued uber alles. Um, well, I want to get to that. But first, I just I do want to disagree with you guys on one point, because I think that there are genuine good faith conservatives out there who have genuine concerns about Donald Trump, but just feel like they need to vote for him when the left wing of the Democratic Party is is ascendant. Like, for example, um, I, I I came across this uh, Meet the Press segment from last year of December 2019, where a person like this said, the only thing that could get me close to voting for Donald Trump is if an extremist like Elizabeth Warren becomes the Democratic nominee. 
Let's see, who is it? Who oh, wait, that, that was Danny Plutka. Oh, <laughs> oh wait. that was oh. Danny. I'm sorry. I thought, hmm. Wait a minute, but is Elizabeth Warren's not the, not Did the nominee? She She's not oh, the nominee, oh, wait, is she? No. Yeah. No. She got crushed by Joe Biden. Here's the thing that pisses me off the most about this. And I, and I do want to get to your 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 point there, JVL, about about uh, about the motives uh, and, and about how this, will, I think, will actually benefit her. I agree with that. But the thing that pisses me off is that there have been so many opportunities for people that actually think that Donald Trump is a threat. Like for people that actually think Donald Trump is a threat, but want to maintain conservative their conservative principles, like uh, uh, and not empower the 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 far left, not empower the Bernie Sanders wing of the party. There have been so many opportunities to engage on this, and I don't want to just sit here in the next level and pat ourselves on the back. But I'm going to pat ourselves on the back for a second. Here are some of the things they could have done. They could have helped work with Sarah on the impeachment of on pushing for the advocating for the impeachment of the president of the United States, which would have left conservative Mike Pence as the president following that. They could have worked with me on Center Action Now, which engaged in the Democratic primary and encouraged people like Danny Pletka to change their res- to change their registration and vote for the more moderate candidate in the Democratic primary that they could appeal. They could have supported a primary and they could have supported Mark Sanford or Joe Walsh or um, uh, Bill Weld. Uh, They could have helped with the efforts of Bill and Sarah in recruiting uh, other more prominent conservatives to challenge him in the primary. They could have written things for the bulwark about their, um, uh, uh, about how to maintain, you know, their conservative viewpoints while still opposing the president. They could support Joe Biden and also do not maybe what we're doing, but what some other people are doing say, Hey, I think we should have Joe Biden in a Republican Senate. That's a check on the far left. Like there have been myriad ways to engage in the political debate over the last four years. If you are of the belief that Donald Trump is a threat, uh, but you're also worried about the far left. But the reality is that to a person, Every single one of the people who claim that they have this view has decided that the way that they're going to engage is by occasionally once a month or once a quarter or once a half year, send a tweet or have a caveat in an op-ed about how they think Donald Trump is a big meanie, but actually I'm very concerned. Actually, what I'm really interested in is all of the policy victories that he did, our great leader did in X, Y, and Z. That's what all of them have chosen to do. And so, like, and that is why, which brings me back to why I think this will be good for them, because that is the comfort zone of Conservatism Inc. They have decided that they want to let this incomplete maniac take over the party. They know that he's a maniac. Danny Pletka herself said that she she thinks that uh, he's insane and on drugs in 2017. He's so insane. And, and they want to give him the keys to the greatest nation in the world. Okay, and 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 they want to just tell their friends that they are smart. They're not like these rubes who go to the rally. They're smart, so they know that the tweets are bad. But at the same time, eh, he's useful, and I get whatever my hobby horse conservative policy issue is. And, and that is the most infuriating thing about all of this: that they cannot just be just not just be honest about it. Just be like, I've cut my deal with this guy. Like, and, and, and that's what I'm going to do. Like by going through this whole charade about how you don't like him and you have these concerns and you're clutching your pearls, it's just infuriating bullshit. Because if you believed it, there were plenty of opportunities to do something about it. That's my rant. Can I just, I would just like to 
add my rant, which is not what your guys' is. And going back to JVL's point about like it really is – it goes to motive. Uh, to me, the the what was crazy about this op-ed, forget her motive, whatever. To me, it was just a simple ad- addition problem. Where if you take all of the things that she said about Donald, like she's 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 putting things in in the Trump column, and then she's putting things in the Biden column, and and then she's and 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 she's she's taking that, and in the in the Trump column, it is like a threat to the world order, weird relationships with dictators, you know, total undermining of the U.S. economy and its and its trade deals, like just big big existential stuff and and like and you know not not and she we've heard her say before he's unwell he's mentally unfit he's 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 temperament you know he's temperamentally unfit she takes all of that stuff in trump's column and then goes over to biden's column and says hmm green new deal which by the way i haven't heard donald trump or i haven't heard joe biden running hard on the green new deal he has no chance of passing no, no chance. chance of passing. Okay, like maybe they do get rid of the filibuster, but they're not going to Joe Biden a Joe Biden administration is not going to pack the courts. Like they have made up a fake there is a real threat which she is clear-eyed about in terms of Donald Trump. And then over in Joe Biden's column are a bunch of mostly fake threats that are things that the far left wing that Joe Biden defeated talk about. And then somehow her her at the end she's this little, you know, do, 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 do. Oh, nope. Uh, I find that this calculation comes out in favor of me being forced, forced by the wokesters who commit violence in the streets who would never hold a Joe Biden side in their lives and side with uh, this crazy man that I've been clear out about how crazy he is. Like that to me is the thing that I can't get over. It's that it's that a reasonable person can look at those two alternatives in front of them and somehow try to gaslight me into saying that one is worse that 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 the that the Joe Biden path is worse than the Donald Trump path. My rant isn't over. Uh, yeah, yeah, and the the green. I just want to go back to this Green New Deal thing for a second. Like the idea that Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin and John Hickenlooper and Mark Kelly are and and John Tester are going to get rid of the filibuster amidst an economic pandemic crisis and jam through some radical AOC environmentalist Green New Deal is patently insane. There is It shows absolutely zero acumen for what the Democratic the actual members of the Democratic Party are in the Senate and the House right now. And so it shows that, that she either has absolutely no idea what the real Democratic Party is or that it's an intentional lie uh, in order to make herself feel better uh, about her absolutely uh, shameful vote. Uh, and, I, and I think that I think that that it's uh, I think that it's clearly the that. Here's here's the thing. If I went to Ruth Marcus over the post op ed section and said, "Hey, I got a piece I'd like to give you," uh, it's going to say that I Donald Trump is terrible and catalog the list of the ways that Donald Trump is terrible, but ultimately say that I have to vote for him because it is possible that Joe Biden is actually a robot being controlled by space lizards. <laughs> Ruth would probably say no. Maybe not. Who knows? Yeah, it might get clicks. But that is not actually all that much crazier than what Danny wrote. I mean, it, it is it is an exaggeration, but it's not that much of an exaggeration. It's the craziest fucking thing uh, ever. And I, the all of which is say you can't argue with these people. You can't debate the with other these thing, people. JVL. People like that, there is no good faith. There's no. They know what they're doing is BS. 
Uh, I don't know that they do actually. I don't know that they do. I really, you listen to some of these other center right podcasts and like, I, I think that they're all, they've all are believing their own bullshit. I think that they really do believe that, that Elon Omar is the secret, uh, uh, you know, puppet master behind the democratic party. Um, and, and I just, I think that that's what makes them feel better and feel comfortable about the fact that they've been absolutely wrong about the, well, who the Republican party is. And so they need to imagine that the democratic party is just as screwed up. The reality is the likely chief of staffs for Joe Biden are Bruce Reed, who ran the fucking DLC during the Clinton era, or Ron Klain, who is also a generic centrist co- pro corporate Democrat with a ton of corporate clients. Like the idea that these people are, ra- that are radicals is just co- completely wrong, and they refuse to acknowledge it because it, what makes it, it's what makes them feel cozy. And, and I have one other thing on this: is like the this this notion that the way to beat the the wokesters and the and the cultural lefts the rise of the cultural left is to make donald trump the president for eight more years is 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 just actually i i I just i'm not allowed to say the word that i want to say about how how stupid it is it is extremely extremely idiotic and the opposite of true and if anything donald trump has empowered that yeah. And I'm sorry, I, I'm also not done ranting. I just have one other thing to say about this, uh, which is, you know, I was told through my rise in in through conservatism, Inc., as I as I grew up in it, that taking responsibility for one's own actions and behavior was very key to who for we black were as people. conservatives. <laughs> it was very <laughs> was very key to to what and I will tell you something. I believe this to my core, this idea that like you have to take responsibility for this, the, you know, your own thing, your own stuff. It's part of what's made me a conservative all these years. The idea, the way that these people talk about in this like Taylor Swift, look what you've made me do, like thing, where like it's not my fault. I have no choice. You made me do it. Alexandra Petri had this excellent Washington Post uh, uh, like parody piece of this because it is absurd that like that there's that there's no response. They do not want to own their vote for Donald Trump. They want to be able to distance themselves from it by saying this is your fault. You made me hit you. Yeah, that's my that's the end. Now I'm done. All right, guys, that's been a long episode. That is enough. Uh, we did too much agreeing today, and and also we ran long. So next week we will try to get angry at each other and yell at each other instead of yelling at the at our keyboards. Yeah, uh, which was that was really good. I, I like the passion. Appreciate your passion, there, guys. All right, bye. Peace. Bye.